All right. It's time for. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, okay, go. The South Carolina Policy <laughs> Council.org's Bryce Fielder. He's Good gonna, morning. He's going to think we're crazy. Yeah, I know. Bryce, we're, we're working on a stager. For us, so that like when I introduce you, there'll be like an a, like a like a canned introduction, introducing the South Carolina Policy Council. What do you think about that? Oh, oh, I think it's great. I love the introductions that y'all do. You, you guys <laughs> seem like you're having a blast over there. <laughs> oh no, we can't stand you, one another. Do you guys have a slogan? A slogan, uh, maybe freest in the nation, South Carolina. We're working on it. If y'all have any input, please let us know. Okay, okay. We're trying to come up with a good, uh, you know, like I don't know if to call you a watchdog or something like that. But um, but the main goal of the South Carolina Policy Council is? To remove barriers to freedom and to make South Carolina the freest state in the nation. There you go. I like that. Now, one of the issues that we're talking about today is, and we've talked about this before, is judicial reform because um, there are only two states in the nation that have lawmakers picking the judges. Um, And I think the other one uh, is said to be Virginia, but even the way they do it is better the way than we do it. And it kind of could lend towards some kind of corruption of some sort. Is that kind of what the thought is about the need for reform? Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, we have this really unusual system where high-level judges in South Carolina, so that's your state Supreme Court, your Court of Appeals, your circuit court, your family court, and your administrative law court, all of those judges are elected by lawmakers. And if you've been following the judicial reform discussion for much time, you know, you've heard that the other state in the nation, the only other one to do it, in a similar way as Virginia, but we had this hunch that our two systems are actually pretty different and that South Carolina kind of in its own way uh, is on an island with how it does things. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the details, does things a lot worse. And so that's kind of where this investigative engagement started. And I think what we found confirms a lot of that when we get to things like transparency, how how easy is it for citizens to get involved in the process to to speak on judicial candidates, what does the election look like, those kind of things. So there was an article that was written. Is this in the Nerve? The article that just went up uh, that that uh, about judges is a, is a policy council piece, and that's one okay. that went up last Yeah. And I see that there's a breakdown here about uh, comparison, comparing South Carolina and Virginia when it comes to screening and nominating candidates, election day itself of those candidates, and um, transparency and public participation. So can you go through those so people understand what are the issues uh, that South Carolina policy is um, kind of bringing to the forefront and showing and demonstrating that we do need reform? Yeah, definitely. So before a judicial candidate can be elected by the full legislature in South Carolina, they have to go through a screening and nominating process, and it's controlled by a board that's called the Judicial Merit Selection Commission. And this is a 10-member body, uh, most of which themselves are lawmakers, and the appointments for that group are made by just three people. And so you have to be screened by this group. They do this kind of thorough investigation Mm -hmm. to determine whether you're qualified. And then ultimately, Uh, They may end up nominating you so that later on you have a chance of being elected by the full legislature. One of the main problems that we found is these screenings, which are held uh, usually in Columbia at the State House, are not screened. They're not live streamed for the public. 
And so what that means is if you, you know, have to work on that day or you live in other parts of the state, there's just really no way for you to know what happened at these meetings, right? There's no video recording. There's nothing posted online. You know, theoretically, you can ask for minutes, but those aren't going to be very comprehensive. And so you kind of don't know what the process actually looks like, the conversation between the lawmakers that are, that are screening these judges, what those judges say in response, and any of the details that took place at these meetings. So that's one of the main problems that we found. Uh, when we looked at Virginia's system, we found that they actually do stream these meetings. So not only are they broadcast live, if you kind of want to follow along, uh, along in real time, but they're also posted online so that at any point in the future, you can go back to the Virginia Statehouse website, watch these meetings, see who these candidates are, look at the interaction between them and lawmakers, and kind of get a sense for what's going on. The second major issue under the transparency front is that if a citizen or anyone wants to, you know, speak at one of these judicial screenings, they have to submit their testimony at least two weeks in advance, and it has to be done uh, submitted under oath, which can be kind of intimidating, right? We don't perceive people intentionally going to these committees and lying, mm-hmm. but if the law says that what you're saying has to be under oath and your submission has to be sent under oath, that can just be kind of an intimidating thing, coupled with the fact that it has to be two weeks in advance. And so from our perspective, it's really no surprise that, that so few people uh, speak of these things because there's such a big barrier to entry. Hmm. You know, I'm just wondering, um, and I want to talk about the other uh, differences that you found between the two. Um, is the reason why you're highlighting these differences, Bryce, um, because to highlight, not only does South Carolina need reform, but are you um, alluding to the effect that, or to the fact that Virginia may be getting this process right? Or do you also see problems with Virginia's setup? So Virginia definitely has its own problems. Uh, and in fact, in both states, lawmakers really control so much of the process, too much, in fact. I think the reality is here is in South Carolina, you know, from the policy council's perspective, you know, we, we kind of contend that the best system of selecting judges is the one that, that's used at the federal level, where you would have kind of the governor make appointments, and then that person would be appointed or, con- uh, or rather confirmed by the full Senate or the mm. full legislature. Uh-huh. The issue with that is, is that would take, you know, that would require amending our state constitution, which is a pretty big hurdle. And so we kind of see that as a, a longer term reform. Okay. And so in the Time, we're looking at, okay, what are some of the tweaks to the current process that we can make? Here's this other state in Virginia that has a similar process, but it also has some differences. And in a lot of ways, it's doing things better. So it serves as a kind of role model for how we can improve our current system until we can really change things around. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so now let's talk about the next thing, um, the election day process and how the South Carolina House and Senate um, end up electing these high-level judges? Yeah, so it's kind of unusual. So they'll come together in a joint session, the whole 170 member of the the state legislature, and they'll vote together. And, you know, what the rules are currently is that a candidate only needs the majority of the joint group of, of lawmakers voting that day. So they don't need a majority of the House and then a majority of the Senate, just of that one body. And the problem is, you know, are because the House membership so far outnumbers the Senate, you can basically be elected to the bench without a single vote of the Senate, you know, without really kind of the, the consent of the other chamber in that way. 
and it's kind of a weird system when you think about it <clears throat> because you know bills they have to be passed by both chambers right or if you know lawmakers want to override the governor's veto that also requires you know that that going through the process of both chambers so it's just kind of an uneven process and it gives one side of the legislature a lot of power and it's just very uneven and when we looked at virginia you know unsurprisingly they at least require that for for a judge to be elected they need a majority of votes in in the house and in their senate are these judges able to i guess campaign or uh i don't know uh i can't call it campaigning but i mean what what do they do to try and get selected i mean what are they allowed to do so there are pretty strict rules here in South Carolina, right? Mm-hmm. Up and so while they're going through the screening process through the JMSC, that's that 10 member screening board, they're not allowed to solicit any kind of support from legislators. Um, now, after the JMSC issues its report to lawmakers and they know who the candidates are, within a period of time after that, then candidates are allowed to go to lawmakers and seek support. And that's really where a lot of the election process actually occurs, and judges get a pretty good idea of whether or not they have a chance. So that's why you've seen historically, a lot of times judges will actually just drop out if they don't think they're going to get enough support. So I'll give you an example. Um, I believe it was in 2022, for every single open seat, there was only one candidate because all of the other people running for those seats basically felt like they didn't have the votes, and so they dropped out. So that wasn't even much of an election. It was more like an appointment because there was no competition for any of the seats. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so now, just talking to the rest of us here, what should we be doing, or what can we do to really push for judicial reform? What should we be asking uh, for? How do we, you know, how do we know where they're at in the process? So, one of the big kind of things that we're pushing for, and there's several kind of here in the short term, is that all of these screening hearings that we've been talking about, those need to be live streamed. They need to be mm. streamed live for the public so that you can follow along in real time, and then those recordings should be posted online so that anyone in the state can go to the state house website and see who these candidates are, can kind of look at the interaction between them and lawmakers and get a sense for that. Secondly, we should eliminate this kind of strange law that says that you have to submit your testimony you know, two weeks in advance so that mm-hmm. anyone that wants to speak at one of these meetings has an easier time of doing so because, you know, we think public engagement in this kind of process is really important. Um, secondly, you know, we have to break up some of the power over the JMSC so that it's not controlled by just three legislators. You know, right now it's, you know, the House Speaker appoints five members, the Senate Judiciary Chairman appoints three, and the Senate President appoints two. So it's just those three legislators that kind of control the gates to becoming a judge. And so we've recommended and others have recommended that the governor should have some appointments to all of it, if not most of its membership, so you get a little bit more balance in there. Um, Finally, one thing I'll say, and and we talk a little bit about this in in the report, is that, you know, the law says that only so many candidates can be advanced for an open seat, and currently that's three. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is if you have five candidates that are found qualified, the JMSC will just pick the three that it wants and advance them, and it doesn't have to tell you why it did that. Hmm. So we're leaving qualified candidates out of the 
the race effectively because we have this arbitrary cap. So we would recommend getting rid of that, too. All right. All right. If people want to find this article and read more about this and keep tabs on what's going on, um, you know, is the website the best place to go? Yeah, it's right there on our front page. You can read it at scpolicycouncil.org. All right. Bryce Fielder, thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. Thank you.